Bless the Lord, O my soul. That is how the psalmist begins in our text today. Psalm 103. And if you haven't turned there in your Bible, I would invite you to go ahead and do that. This is going to be where we camp out all morning long. The 103rd Psalm. The psalmist, this psalm is uh, attributed to David. David begins in this way. Bless the Lord, O my soul. And maybe you've come today with the same sentiment. After all, as I've already said, this is Sunday, this is the first day of the week, this is the Lord's day, and we are gathered together for the purpose of blessing the Lord, of telling Him and showing Him how grateful we are for His generosity in our lives as we experience it. So maybe you've come with the same sentiment on your heart and in your mind and on your lips, I have come to bless the Lord, or maybe you haven't. Maybe just getting here for you was a momentous occasion, an accomplishment today. And maybe you've come, you're here, but you don't feel eager to bless the Lord. Maybe it's been a tough week for you. The holidays can be a wonderful time of year, but they can also be a difficult time of year. It's been a tough week. Maybe it's been a tough year. Maybe 2019 didn't go as planned for you. Maybe you faced some adversity in this year that we are wrapping up that you didn't expect to face a year ago at this time as you were gearing up for the new year. Maybe it's been a tough decade and your family is not where you wanted them to be 10 years you know, at the close of this decade. Uh, maybe your faith and your personal life, you are not where you'd like to be. Maybe it's been a tough century or millennium, which by the way, can you believe that we are already to the year 2020? That we are about to begin the third decade of this new century and millennium? To me, it doesn't seem like it was that long ago that we were ringing in the year 2000. It was 1999, December 31st, and we were counting down, and we all expected that when the clock struck midnight, the computers would crash and the planes would fall from the sky that as soon as those old computer systems went to 99 to, you know, to 00, the whole world was going to fall apart. Do you remember Y2K? Wasn't that just yesterday? Is anybody out there? You have this like post-Christmas glazed over look in your eyes and I, I feel like I need to maybe get everybody to stand up so you can get pepped up a little bit. You remember Y2K for those of us who were alive at that time? It's, thank you, appreciate that. Uh, somebody remembers. You know, it seems goofy now thinking back on it, but there was legitimate concern. That was 20 years ago. And here we are about to begin the third decade of this century, this millennium, and maybe these last 20 years have not gone well for you and you're not pleased with what has transpired it's, maybe it's hard for you as you have come into God's house today with God's people to say what David says here at the start of this psalm, Psalm 103, verse 1, bless the Lord. Maybe you're struggling to find reasons to bless the Lord today. Well, I'm here to tell you that the psalmist can help you with that in Psalm 103. In verse 2, he says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His Benefits. Don't 
Forget all of the good things that God has done for you. Don't forget about His benefits. Shall we list some of these today? I'd like to share some of these with you from this psalm. And these are sort of out of order, but just in in kind of a random order, I want to share some of the blessings, some of the benefits that the psalmist gives us. These are reasons to bless the Lord. Number one, the Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. This is Psalm 103, verse 6. The Lord our God works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed, especially to His own people when we are oppressed. What does this verse mean? What does the psalmist mean here? It means God acts always with complete fairness. Now we live in a great country and we have a great judicial system, but sometimes even in the best country in in the world, there is a miscarriage of justice. And the innocent are guilty, charged with a crime, and the guilty go free. What does this verse tell us? That with God there is never a miscarriage of justice. That with God everything is always fair. And there's the promise here of protection as well. That God will protect us, His people, against oppression. And so, for this reason, bless the Lord. Here's another one for you. This is from verse 19. So you've got to skip down a ways. The Lord has established His throne in the heavens and His kingdom rules over all. And you can be a part, some of you, many of you are already a part of His glorious kingdom. Now, God may not be in complete control of all the world's events. There are many things that happen in our world that God is not behind. We are told in the New Testament that the God of this world, that the God of this age is in fact the devil, Satan, the evil one. And he wields a lot of influence in our world and he is very powerful. But make no mistake, even though the devil may be in control of some situations in our world, God is ultimately in charge. And his kingdom rules over all. His eternal kingdom reigns over earth's temporary kingdoms. This should give us an infusion of hope when we read that the Lord has established His throne in the heavens and His kingdom rules over all. He is ultimately in charge. So bless the Lord for that. And here's one more for you. This is from verse 5. The Lord satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagle's. The eagle, a sign in the Old Testament of strength and youthfulness and vitality and life. And so we are reminded here by the psalmist that every good thing, both big and small, that gives life to us is from God. See James 1.17. Every good and perfect gift is from the Father above. You have nothing. We have nothing that we have not received that is not a gift from our God. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Our Lord satisfies us with every good so that we are refreshed and we are renewed. And so for this reason, bless the Lord. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Are you still not convinced that the Lord deserves to be thanked and blessed for all He has done? Well, I want you to look at something else with me in this psalm. I want you to watch the subtle way 
that the psalmist tells us about God's goodness to His people throughout every stage of history. Starting with creation at the very beginning. Watch this. Verse 14 of Psalm 103. The psalmist declares this. For He, God, knows... In my Bible, it says our frame, but the footnote in my Bible reminds me that the Hebrew here can also be rendered, God knows how we are formed. How does he know? Because he's the one who did the forming in the first place. He's the one who was there doing the creating. And the next phrase, he remembers that we are dust. He made us, formed us out of the dust of the ground. And so the psalmist goes all the way back to the creation of mankind to show us that God was there. And where else was he present in the history of his people? He was present in the era of Moses, guiding his people by those tablets and by those laws that he so graciously provided. In verse 7, we are told this by the psalmist. In this same psalm, he, God, made known his ways to Moses, his acts, to the people of Israel. By His grace, He revealed Himself and His will and His character to His people in the Old Testament so that they could be guided rightly by their God. And let's go a little further uh, into the history of Israel to the time of exile where even though the people were being punished, even though the people were being disciplined by their God, having been driven out from the land of promise, God is still watching over them and sustaining their lives. Look at verse 9. Where we are told, He will not always chide, nor will He keep His anger forever. His anger and His discipline, the consequences that you face for your sin, they are but temporary. He will not stay angry with you forever. There is a time of salvation on its way. So at creation... During the era of Moses and the giving of the law, during the exile, God is present in each era. And what is the psalmist's point? It's that we should bless the Lord in every stage of life. In every stage of life. When He seems present, bless Him. When it seems that He's absent, bless Him. In both triumph and tragedy, in prosperity and poverty, bless the Lord just the same. I think about Job. If you've kept up with your Bible reading, you've been reading Job recently. Job was a man who experienced great success and prosperity because he respected and revered the Lord. But then Satan attacked his body, his fortune, his home, his children, his family, and his own wife said, curse God and die. God did this to you. He doesn't deserve to be praised anymore. He doesn't deserve your worship. He doesn't deserve to be blessed. What does Job say? I have it up here on the screen. Job chapter 1, verse 21. Naked I came into the world. Naked I I shall return to the dust. The Lord gave. And the Lord has taken away. Regardless, blessed be the name of the Lord. Bless the Lord through every season of life, both good and bad, in both rain and sunshine. Bless the Lord. And you know what? I'm not even yet to the best parts of this psalm. We are not even yet to, in my opinion, what are the best reasons that the psalm gives us to bless our God above. Let's keep going. 
Because the psalmist in this psalm reflects a lot on how God deals with our sin. Now, I know most of you know this already, but just as a reminder, we as sinners, as those who sin, are separated from God. Because God is so holy and so perfect and so set apart, He cannot be in the presence of sin. Therefore, He cannot be in our presence as sinners. And so as sinners, we face punishment and death because of our rebellion, because of the rebellion that humanity has been involved in ever since the fall, ever since the time of Adam and Eve, there is a wall of separation between us and God. And by default, we are headed towards destruction and death because of our sin. But look at what the psalmist says about how God deals with us as sinners. Watch this. Verses, I'm going to start in verses 2 through 4. Bless the Lord, O my soul, forget not all His benefits. We mentioned this earlier. Who forgives all your iniquity? Who heals all your diseases? And the sense here might be physical healing in this context, but I think it's more likely that the psalmist here is talking about God healing us spiritually and binding up our spiritual wounds here because it's right on the heels of him saying that God forgives all your iniquity. He redeems your life from the pit. He crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. Skip down to verse 8 because the psalmist is not done. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. These are words that are borrowed from the book of Exodus chapter 34 when God reveals Himself to Moses when He's giving him the second tablets with the Ten Commandments. He tells Moses, this is who I am. This is my character. And then these words are often repeated in the Old Testament to remind the people of Israel what kind of God they serve. And here they are repeated in Psalm 103. The Lord is merciful. And He's gracious. And He's slow to anger. And He abounds in steadfast love. He will not always chide. Nor will He keep His anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins. Nor repay us according to our iniquities. He doesn't... We need to repeat that. He doesn't deal with us according to our sins nor repay us according to our iniquities. If He did, who could stand? Who could withstand that kind of judgment? As the psalmist says in Psalm 130. I mean, if God dealt with me according to all my sins, if He treated me accordingly to all the times that I have done what I shouldn't have done, said what I shouldn't have said, thought what I shouldn't have thought, acted out of impure motivations and attitudes? Is there even a book big enough to contain a list of all my sins? Is the world even big enough to contain all the volumes needed to list all of my sin? And I'm just talking about my sin. I'm not even talking about your sin. The sins of all the people in this room right now. I'm not even talking about the sins of all the people in this county, in this country, in this world. If God dealt with us according to our sin, according to our iniquity, who could stand? Who could withstand that? But the psalmist here says, he doesn't. 
He doesn't deal with us according to our sin. Let me continue in verse 11. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is His steadfast love toward those who fear Him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does He remove our transgressions from us. The psalmist intentionally includes immeasurable distances here to show us how great and how vast is the mercy and grace of our God and how far He has removed our sins from us. You can't measure from east to west. You can't measure from this world, from this earthly realm to God where God is in the heavenly realm. And that's the point. You cannot measure the grace and the mercy of God and you cannot measure how far away He has removed your sins from you if you are His faithful follower and child And in verse 10, we get this beautiful image. I'm sorry, in verse 13. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. Now, not all of us had good, loving, compassionate fathers. But we know by intuition what a good, compassionate, loving father is supposed to act like. And so we understand when the Bible tells us that God is a Father, we understand what the Bible is communicating. The Bible is communicating that God is tender, that He is faithful, that He is patient and long-suffering, that He wants what is best for His children, That he never stops hoping that any children who have gone astray will come back, will come back home. The Father, God is a Father who is compassionate with us. Verse 15. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field, for the wind passes over it and it Blows it away and it's gone and its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear Him and His righteousness to children's children. This is the grand crescendo of the psalm when the psalmist is driving this point home that God does not deal with us according to our iniquities, but He is gracious and merciful. And if this was true for Israel, how much more so is this true for Christians? I mean, God has displayed even more goodness and kindness to us through Christ. We have it far better even than the psalmist who wrote these beautiful words about the grace and mercy of God. We've got it better than Him because we have the Savior of the world, Jesus Christ. And so, what language shall we borrow to exceed that of this psalm? I don't know, but we ought to try. Because God's grace and mercy is even more exceedingly abundant than what the Israelites experienced because of Jesus. So, bless the Lord. Bless the Lord. And here's one more reason to bless the Lord. Verses 17 and 18. The psalmist says, But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear Him. And His righteousness to children's children, to those who keep His covenant and remember to do His commandments. What is the psalmist saying to us here? The psalmist is saying 
to borrow the language from someone else, that the crowning privilege that God gives the faithful is that though our lives are short, and though they may often seem insignificant, He can use us, He desires to use us to bless the next generation and to bless generations yet unborn. If you're like me, you often wonder if your life is making any difference. If you're like me, you often wonder if your devotion to God is going to impact your children and your grandchildren and maybe other children that you have a relationship with in this congregation and beyond. But this psalm tells us that God will use our faithfulness to bless the next generation in ways that we can't even see or imagine in this life. In 1918, a little over 100 years ago, a gospel meeting was conducted in Delrose, Tennessee, which is just over in Lincoln County on the other side of Fayetteville, by a preacher named Brother Brents. Now in those days, it was normal for meetings to continue as long as 15 days, extending over three Sundays. Some of you may remember some of those old gospel meetings. Now, I'm not saying any of you were alive in 1918. All right, don't, don't misunderstand me there. But you remember, as a kid, these lengthy gospel meetings. This was one such meeting that lasted 15 days. And of course, as always, the hope and the prayer was that many would hear the gospel and give their lives to the, to the Lord as a result of these efforts. Well, during this meeting, only one person was baptized. On the closing night, one 13-year-old boy came and confessed Christ and was immersed for the forgiveness of his sins. Well, after the closing prayer, as the congregation gathered out on the lawn, you could overhear comments like these. This gospel meeting was a failure. And just one addition to the church. And on top of that, it was just a boy. And, well, we won't be using that preacher again. That boy overheard those comments, and they were hurtful. He later said on many occasions, I thought the meeting was a great success because my soul was saved. That boy's name was Hubert Allen Dixon, better known as H.A. Dixon, who grew up to become a well-known preacher, a Christian educator, and who was the president of Freed Hardeman College from 1950 to his death in 1969. So consider all of the lives impacted by Brother Dixon's life and ministry. And those lives were impacted all because God used Brother Brent's to proclaim to him the gospel when he was just 13 years old and he was the only convert, the only one baptized at that gospel meeting. And they all thought the meeting was a failure. The psalmist tells us that we can contribute to the well-being of our children, our grandchildren, and beyond in ways that we cannot see in this life. And you don't have to be a preacher to nurture those who will be His people in coming generations. You just have to be a faithful Christian. You just have to be a faithful parent, a faithful grandparent, 
a faithful uncle and aunt. You just have to model what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus Christ to the children around you in this congregation, in this room, and God will use you to bless the faith of generations yet unborn. Your life matters. Isn't it amazing? What God can do, how God works, bless the Lord. Now in 2020, as in every year of your life, there will be cause for celebration and sadness. I don't know what's going to happen in my own life, much less in yours. There will be triumph and tragedy. May we bless the Lord through it all. May we bless the Lord in both sunshine and rain, in moments both happy and sad. The Lord deserves to be blessed regardless of what befalls us in 2020. Did you know that the last line of Psalm 103 is the same as the first? It's, bless the Lord, O my soul. But you see, by the time the psalmist gets to the end, he can say that with an even better perspective, with even greater and deeper understanding of why the Lord deserves to be blessed. And by the end, he not only calls his fellow human believers to bless the Lord, he enlists all of creation and the heavenly host to bless the Lord. Everything and everyone, every being that breathes needs to come and bless the Lord. The Lord deserves all the worship and praise and adoration that we can muster. Bless the Lord, church. And even in times of adversity, please do not forget all of His benefits. The Lord can bless your life if you only come and receive the gifts that come through His Son, Jesus Christ. Salvation and life and forgiveness and peace and the Holy Spirit and a future I'm so proud of Maddie Cowan. David told me out in the lobby that yesterday she finished her Bible. I just want to brag on her. She finished her Bible reading. 16. A lot of us grown-ups petered out on our Bible reading, but she finished hers, and she told her family when she finished, you know what? I'm ready to be baptized. And they came up here late last night, and she was baptized into Christ. And I know we've got others in the house today who have not made the wonderful decision that Maddie just made. We want to invite you to come on this last Sunday of this year. There's no better time than right now for you to come and confess the beautiful name of Christ and go down into that water and come back up having your sins washed away, a new creature in Christ. Why don't you do that today? If you're struggling in any, any way, you need prayers to wrap up this year, to begin the next, we want to invite you. If you'd like to visit with some of our elders, you have that opportunity when our assembly is over in the library out here. If you have a spiritual need today, if you need prayers, if you need strength, forgiveness, whatever it may be, why don't you come right now as we stand and sing?